Welcome to this Uvula audio presentation of John Doe and the Cherub by L. Frank Baum. Volume 6. Chapter 13. Black Oboe. Soon after daybreak the next morning, while Chick and the princess were out hunting berries for their breakfast, John went for a walk along the shore, and so engrossed did he become in his thoughts that he did not notice when a band of mifkits stole upon him from behind and threw a coil of stout rope around his shoulders. Before he realized his misfortune, he was bound fast with many turns of the rope. Then he found that he had fallen into the hands of his old enemy, Black Oboe. But the Arab, to his great relief, was not with the party that had captured him. Shouting with glee at the capture of the gingerbread man, the Mifkits led him away through the forest paths until they arrived at the clearing where the king lazily reclined upon his flat rock. Obo at once awoke the aged ruler, who sat up and said in a weary tone, Have you taken the strange prisoners I commanded? We have, answered the black one. John Doe was very indignant at this treatment that he had received, so he addressed the king angrily, saying, By what right do you command me to be bound in this disgraceful manner? Did you not give me permission to live among you in peace? I am a king, and the promises a king should never be relied upon, said the old Mifkit, winking slyly at his prisoner. Since I first saw you, the Arab has arrived, and he tells me, that the material you're made of is very good to eat. Can the Arab understand your language? asked John in surprise. It seems so, answered the king. In some parts of Arabia, the people speak exactly as we do, so the Arabs are probably descended from our race. Anyway, Ali Dub understands us, and we understand him. We've decided to have a bite of you before he can eat you himself. This was disturbing news to the gingerbread man, and he stood before the king wondering how he might escape from this awkward situation, when the black Mifkit, who was squatting beside him, opened his mouth and bit off the thumb from John's left hand, which was tightly bound to his side. How does it taste, Obo? inquired the king, while the black one was chewing the thumb. I can't exactly describe the flavor, said Obo boldly biting off the forefinger of the hand. John was enraged at this dreadful treatment, and his glass eyes had a dangerous flash in them. It didn't pain him especially, for he had no nerves, but to be chewed up by a common forest mifkit was a liberty that any gingerbread man might well resent. "'Seems to me there's molasses in him,' said Obo with a wink at the king, and immediately he bit off another finger and ate it. "'Also a bit of ginger,' He continued calmly, eating the next finger. And some spices. And another finger was gone. It's not exactly cake, it ain't exactly bread. The black one proceeded, smacking his lips. But it's pretty good, whatever it is. And with that he ate the last finger remaining on John's left hand. Bring him here to me, said the king. I'll eat the other hand, see what it's like. Obo immediately pushed the prisoner toward the rock, but John was now terribly frightened, and had made up his mind not to allow the rest of his body to be eaten without a struggle to save himself. So he suddenly exerted all the strength the great elixir had given him, and burst his rope bonds 
as easily as if they had been threads. At the same instant, the Arab leapt into the group that surrounded the throne and placed himself between the king and John Doe. Stop! he screamed, his voice shrilled with anger. How dare you eat the gingerbread! Gingerbread I have bought and paid for! There's enough for all, said the king. We'll divide him up and have a feast. Not so! He is mine and mine alone! shouted the Arab. But while they were thus quarreling, the gingerbread man, freed of his bonds, turned and fled swiftly into the forest. And before the Mifkets or Ali Dub knew he had gone, their intended victim was far away. Chick was very indignant when John Doe entered the treehouse and showed his mutilated hand. You ought to stay near me every minute, said the cherub, so I can take care of you and keep you from getting into trouble. If this thing keeps on, John Doe, you won't be able to present a respectable appearance. I know that, said John sadly. I'd escape in that little boat on the beach. Only if a rainstorm came up, there would be no shelter, and I'd become soaked and fall to pieces. It's not our boat either, said Chick. It belongs to the father and mother of the little princess, and they may want to use it themselves some day to escape in. That's true. How is the princess today? She's worse, answered Chick. It seems to me she gets weaker and more delicate every day. That's what the rubber bear says, John remarked thoughtfully. See here, that gingerbread of yours is full of strength and power, isn't it? That is what Ali Dub keeps saying. The elixir that I am mixed with is claimed to be very powerful. And it's true, for I've seen you do things no gingerbread man could ever do without some magical elixir being present. Well, then, why don't you let the princess eat the rest of your left hand and get well? The hand isn't any use to you anyway, since Black Oboe ate off the fingers. John looked at his left hand nervously. What you said, Sheik, appears to be true, but you have no idea how I dread to be eaten. I'm not very substantial at best, and during my brief lifetime, I have been crumbled and chipped and beaten to such an extent that I dread to lose even a crumb of my person more than absolutely necessary. Of course, I'd like to help the princess and restore her to health and strength, but perhaps we can find some better way to do that than to feed her on my gingerbread. Very well, John Doe, said the cherub, getting up to go to the princess. I suppose you can do as you please about feeding yourself to your friends, but if I was the gingerbread man... You can just bet I wouldn't be so stingy with myself. Left alone, John sighed and wondered if it was really his duty to sacrifice his left hand to save the fragile little girl and restore her to strength and health. He wanted to be kind and generous, yet the very thought of being eaten filled him with horror. Presently he left the treehouse and wandered along the coast. Chick's rebuke disturbed him not a little and he wanted time to think it over. So by and by, when he thought he was alone, he sat down upon a rock and tried to decide what to do. Suddenly a low rustle disturbed him, and he looked up to see the brown bear squatting beside him. "'Where's the princess?' asked Para Bruin. "'Aren't you a good way away from your mountain?' inquired John, instead of answering the question. "'Yes, I don't often stray so far.' 
but I had an idea of calling on the princess today. Where is she? She's sick today, said the gingerbread man. Oh, that's bad, declared the bear, shaking his head sadly. She seems to be failing more every day. Poor little princess. John moved uneasily, for every word was a reproach to him. How are you getting on with the Mifkits? asked Pera Bruin. They made me a prisoner this morning and abused me shamefully, said the gingerbread man. See here. And he held up the stump of his left hand. What has become of your fingers? A Mifkit named Obo bit them off and ate them, was the answer. That's curious, said the bear, rubbing his nose thoughtfully with one paw. Do you know the Mifkits had an exciting time an hour ago? I watched them from my mountain and saw everything. Black Obo had a fight with the king and knocked him off his rock. That's really surprising, for Obo has always been a coward and afraid of the king. But now he's declared he'll be king himself and offers to fight anybody who opposes him. Isn't that funny? I don't know where Black Obo got so much courage and strength from all of a sudden, I'm sure. I know where he did. He got it from my fingers, which he ate. My dough is mixed with the great elixir, you know, which is nothing less than concentrated energy and strength and vitality and knowledge. The fingers have made Obo the most powerful mifkit on the island, so it is no wonder he has become king. Perabruin listened to this carefully, and after a moment's thought he said, If that's the case, John Doe, you must feed some of yourself to the princess to make her strong again. That is what Chick says, but I don't like to do it. You will, though, for if you don't, you're no friend of mine or of any other honest person. I'm going back to my mountain now, and if you don't save the little princess... I'm never going to speak to you again. Away stalked Pera Bruin. John Doe arose with a sigh and walked far into the forest, trying to make up his mind what to do. He came to the bank of the brook presently, and seating himself upon a fence beside the stream, gazed into the rushing water in deep thought. From the distance came the roar of water falling over the big dam which the beavers had built, and once or twice a mifkit strayed that way and looked curiously at the silent figure of the gingerbread man. But they had orders from the Arab and Obo not to disturb him, so they crept away and joined their fellows among the giant plants. A long time John Doe sat there by the stream until suddenly he was aroused from his musings by a shriek of discordant laughter behind him. Ha, ha, ha! What an absurd thing! Who'd ever thought it? He turned around and saw a gorgeous macaw standing on a log back of him. The bird was all aglow with crimson and green feathers, and its black eyes twinkled mischievously, while continuous shouts of laughter came from its ruffled maw. "'Keep still, can't you?' said John in an annoyed tone. "'What are you laughing at, anyway?' The bird pushed its head underneath a wing and shook with suppressed mirth. "'Oh, dear! Too funny for anything!' What a lark! <laughs> what a lark it is! His voice was somehow smothered by the feathers, but John heard every word and it made him angry. You're a Ramsey, that's what you are, he cried. There are two of us, two of us, two of us! 
shrieked the macaw, hopping around, fluttering its brilliant plumage. Honestly, my dear breakfast, I've never had so much fun in my life. John turned his head and looked at the bird, earnestly. Why do you call me your dear breakfast? he asked with sudden suspicion. Because that's what you are, my poor innocent. Ha 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 ha! Breakfast is ready! The bird made a quick thrust with its beak, and the next moment fluttered around in front of John with its mouth full of gingerbread. Our hero quickly stood up and put his right hand behind him. The baker had made two little coattails at the back of his waist, and as John felt for them, he found that the thieving macaw had eaten both of these coattails entirely off, while he sat upon the log thinking. How stupid I am! he exclaimed with great grief. I might have given those coattails to the princess, and now this silly belt has eaten them. I said you were a chump, remarked the macaw, winking and then laughing again. The idea of you sitting there, letting me eat you. I never had so much fun in my life. Ha 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 ha! Just then a great chattering reached his ears, and looking around he found that a numerous band of the fierce Mifkits had stolen upon him, and were now coming forward armed with huge clubs which they had broken from the forest plants, which were as solid and heavy as the branches of trees. Surrender! cried the leader, knowing that the gingerbread man understood their language. King Obo wants you for his lunch, and Ali Dub is also hungry. For a moment, John Doe was most frightened. It was not likely that his strength would enable him to escape from so many of his enemies, and he almost gave himself up for lost, for before him was a stream of water, almost as deadly to him as the close ranks of the Mifkits behind him. The macaw was strutting up and down beside him, and at his look of despair the bird said, You're surely in a bad way. My friend, I believe I can save you. When I fly up, grab my feet, and I'll carry you away to your dwelling. You? John exclaimed, gazing at the bird in surprise. You are by no means big enough to fly away with me. Size doesn't count for much, chuckled the macaw. And since I breakfasted off your coattails, I feel myself to be as strong as an ox. Grab my legs, just as I tell you to. John decided it was worth attempting, being the only thing to do. The Mifkits were pressing close, and soon he would be within reach of their clubs. So as the macaw flew into the air, John grasped its legs with his right hand, which was the only hand that had fingers. And sure enough, the strength of the little bird was so great, it easily drew him up into the air, high above the heads of his chattering and disappointed foes. Fool again, cried the macaw. But of course the Mifkits did not understand the words. Away over the tops of the giant plants flew the bird, with John Doe clinging to its legs, and it was not long before it gradually descended again and landed the gingerbread man safely before the door of his own dwelling. Don't thank me, said the macaw, turning toward him one black eye in a saucy manner and winking comically. I ate part of you for my breakfast and feel greatly refreshed. Were it not for the Arab, I'd hope to get another meal off you, but between the Arab and the Mifkits... You're not likely to last long. Goodbye. Ha ha! And away it flew into the forest. Chick met him at the door. There's less of you than ever, said the child, looking him over carefully. Your coattails are gone now. Yes, said the gingerbread man, 
and Macaw at them a few minutes ago, but there will be even less of me in another minute. Drop a knife, Cheek. What are you going to do? asked the cherub with sudden interest. I'm going to save the princess before I'm gone entirely. Not that I have overcome my dislike to be eaten, you understand, but if a black mifkit and a foolish bird find it so easy to feast upon my person, Ali Dob is sure to get me in time. And before that happens, I want to do one good deed and help the little girl to regain her strength and health. Chapter 14 Under Land and Water Chick was very excited by John's decision, and he exclaimed approvingly, Good! You're all right, John Doe, even if it did take you a long time to make up your mind. But we don't have any knife. What should we do? John asked anxiously. Can't we break off a chunk of you? The cherub inquired. No, replied the man with the shudder. Wait a minute, I have an idea. Away trotted the chubby legs, and presently the child returned with a long slender leaf plucked from one of the strange forest plants. This'll saw gingerbread all right, I'm sure. Hold out your hand, John Doe. John turned away his head and held out his left hand, the one from which Black Oboe had eaten the fingers. There, it's all over. Did it hurt? No. John looked at the arm where his hand had been. It's not much worse than it was before. You'll never miss it for all the world. Now wait here while I go to the princess. After Chick had vanished into the girl's dwelling, the gingerbread man gave a sigh of relief. It was not as bad as I feared, he said to himself. But I'm glad the ordeal is over. If I take good care of myself hereafter and manage to escape from Oli Dub, I can get along very well without the gingerbread I have lost. The princess slept sweetly that night after her supper of gingerbread, and the next morning was so fresh and bright and had so pretty a color to her cheeks that Chick hugged her delightedly and John Doe was proud and glad to think his small sacrifice had wrought such good results. Together they strolled into the forest, along the banks of the stream, and presently they met Pity-Pat. "'Be careful where you go,' said the rabbit in a worried tone. "'The Arab is after John Doe, and I hear that Black Oboe hath determined to destroy the little man with the red whiskers, and the fat woman with the corkscrew curls, who are the father and mother of our princess.' Are you sure? asked the girl, clasping her hands in real terror. There's no doubt about it, Pity Pat replied. And I'm not sure that the princess won't share their fate. These are troubled times since the Arab arrived, and Black Opal has become king. There's the boat, said Chick, turning to the girl. Can't your parents escape in that? Well, they've always said they would use the boat to leave the island if there was any danger answered the princess. But the ocean is so big and the boat so very small, they did not like to make such a voyage unless it became necessary. Well, it seems to be necessary now, said John. But what will become of the rest of us? The boat will only hold two. It might hold me as well as my parents if the water was calm, said the girl. But I will not escape and leave you and Chick to your fate unless we can find some way to save us all. I will let my parents escape alone in the boat. That's foolish, said Chick. 
You go in the boat. John Doe and I will be fine. But this the princess refused to do, and after a long discussion, the rabbit decided to go and consult a gray owl which was renowned for its wisdom. The others walked up to Perabrun's cave, and the first thing the bear said was, Look out for yourselves. Black Obo has ordered all the humans on this island to be killed, and the Mifkits are arming themselves with long sticks to which they have bound sharp thorns torn from a tree in the forest. The gingerbread man is to be eaten, I understand, so there's likely to be an end of all of you very soon. Is there no way to escape? asked John. None that I can think of, but you can depend upon my assistance if there's anything I can do. How well the princess looks today! Yes, answered John proudly. She's been eating some of my gingerbread. Hearing this, Perabrun gave John a grateful hug, and he hugged the princess and even Chick. So happy did the bear feel at the girl's recovery. Then he bounced with them several times, rolling himself downhill against the flat rock, and then bounding high into the air. But the little princess was worried and anxious about her parents, so the party soon bid goodbye to Perabruin and started to return to their dwellings. The forest seemed very quiet and peaceful as they walked along, and they had almost forgotten their fears when, just as they reached the banks of the brook, a sudden sound of shouting fell upon their ears, mingled with the wail of human voices. "'Oh, dear!' cried the little princess, wringing her hands in great fear. "'The Mifkits have attacked my dear parents, I'm sure, and they will both be killed!' John strove to comfort her, but he suspected that the princess had guessed truly, and that her parents were in great danger. They dared not return to the seashore, for that would mean their own destruction, so they remained hidden in the forest, while the princess sobbed as if her heart was broken. And John wiped away her tears with her handkerchief. He had one of his own, but it was made of gingerbread and would not stand the dampness. Suddenly they heard pattering footfalls, and the white rabbit crouched at their feet. He was panting from a hard run, and his eyes were big and bright. They're gone! he said as soon as he could speak. Who are gone? asked John anxiously. The red-whiskered man and the woman with the corkscrew curls, replied Pittypat. The Mifkin chased them to the shore, but they jumped into the boat and rowed away in time to escape. The Mifkins threw six at them, and Black Obo screamed with rage, but the father and mother of our princess got away without being hurt in the least. This good news greatly pleased the girl, for her anxiety was much relieved. But the gingerbread man had become thoughtful and asked Pittypat, what are the Mifkits doing now? They're getting ready to search the forest for you and Tick and the princess. Was the reply. The Arab is with them. This is certainly unpleasant news, remarked the gingerbread man. Did the grey owl suggest how we may escape? The owl sent me to the king of the fairy beavers, replied the rabbit. And he has consented to hide you in his palace. It's a rare favor, I assure you. But the Mifkits can't reach you there. A fairy beaver? cried Chick gleefully. And the princess asked wonderingly, Can a beaver be a fairy? Why not? inquired Pittypat. All the animals have their fairies, just as you human folk do. Lucky for us that the fairy beaver lives on this very island. There's only one danger, 
that the Mifketh find you before I can lead you to the Beaver King. So follow me at once, I implore you, before it's too late. He turned with these words and led them along the river bank at such a swift pace that the princess could hardly keep up. How far is it? asked John. The palace of the beavers is somewhere under the big dam in the river, which is not far away. The king promised to meet us at the waterfall, but he won't allow me to enter because I'm a rabbit, so you have to go in there alone. But have no fear, the king will allow nothing to harm you. As Pittypat spoke, they could hear the distant roar of the waterfall at the beaver's dam, but another sound also fell upon their ears that quickly renewed their terror, for it was the yells of the approaching Nifkits. Presently, the fierce creatures appeared, coming swiftly through the forest. Hurry! called Pittypat. Hurry, or it will be too late! John picked up a great wooden club that lay near their path, and while Chick and the princess hurried after the rabbit, he stopped and hurled it toward the Mifkits. It fell among them with such force that several of them were knocked over, and many others howled with pain. It did not prevent them from coming on, but they kept at a more respectful distance, never doubting that they would be able to capture him in time. This way, cried the rabbit, leaping down the bank to the side of the river where they could travel more swiftly. The others followed, and now before them appeared a wide and high sheet of water that fell over the great dam that the beavers had built many years before. They had almost reached it, and Pittypat had called out that he saw the beaver king waiting behind the waterfall, when the fugitives stopped short with cries of despair. For just before them appeared another band of Mifkits, armed with thorn sticks, and now they saw that they would be unable to reach their place of refuge. John looked around in desperation. There were Mifkits behind them and Mifkits before them, and on one side was a deep river, and on the other side a steep bank too high for the children to climb. It really seemed to the gingerbread man that they were lost, when suddenly a cry was heard, and looking upward, he saw a pair of Bruins standing upon his high peak and watching them. The bear doubtless saw the danger to his friends, for he called to them, Look out! I'm coming to the rescue! Then he quickly curled his great body into a monster ball and rolled swiftly down the side of the mountain that faced them. The Mifkits, who were near the waterfall, turned curiously to watch the bear. They had often seen him roll against the flat stone and bound back to his place again, and thought he would do the same thing now. But old Pera Bruin was more clever than they suspected. He missed the flat stone altogether, and came bounding along at a terrific speed. Before the group of Mifkits, who stood close together near the waterfall, knew what was going on, old Pera's body shot upon them and dashed them in every direction. Some lay stunned upon the ground, but most of them were tumbled into the river, where they struggled frantically to regain the shore. Quick! cried Pittypat. Your friends have saved you, but do not lose an instant's time. The children of the gingerbread man obeyed at once, and in a few steps reached the waterfall. Creep behind the sheet of water, commanded the rabbit. You'll find the beaver king awaiting you. Do as he tells you, and I promise you will be safe. Goodbye, Pittypat, called the princess as she clung to the damp rocks behind the waterfall. Goodbye, echoed Chick. Much obliged to you, Pity Pat. Goodbye, answered the white rabbit. Don't forget me. Then he whisked away, and John Doe, shrinking as far from the spray as possible, crept under the waterfall and followed after the little ones. 
The Mifkits uttered cries of rage as they observed the escape of their intended victims, and rushed forward to follow them. But immediately a great flood of water began falling just at the place where the children and John had entered. And as the Mifkits recoiled from this new danger, our friends heard a soft voice say with a little laugh, They will not dare to follow you now. Come with me and be careful not to slip. John looked down and saw a handsome beaver standing beside him. His fur was the color of silver, and upon his head was a tiny golden crown, set with jewels so bright and sparkling that the rays lit the dim place like so many sunbeams. The beaver king's face was calm and dignified, and his eyes kindly and intelligent. Without further speech, he led the way under the roaring waterfall, and the space between the dark wall of the dam and the sheet of water was so narrow that the air was filled with a fine spray, which moistened John's gingerbread in a way that caused him great uneasiness. But lit by the radiance of the king beaver's crown, they soon came to a place directly under the center of the fall, and here their conductor halted and tapped three times upon the surface of the wall. It opened instantly, disclosing a broad passage, and through this the king led them, the wall closing just behind them as they entered. The noise of the waterfall now sounded but dimly in their ears, and presently they emerged into a large vaulted room, which was so beautiful that the little princess clasped her hands with a long-drawn sigh of delight. Chick laughed, and John removed from his head the crumpled and soiled silk hat that he had clung to ever since he had left the bakery. <laughs>